From minimum wage to six-figure incomes, high school diplomas to PhDs, this podcast is about the workers who make up our nation's economy. I'm Allie, and this is Employed. You make a case for a family, and then that approval comes in that they get to have their green card or their citizenship, and that they get to stay in the United States. So that is, I think, the biggest positive. Thanks so much, Valerie, for coming onto the podcast today and sharing with everyone a bit about what you do. Can you introduce yourself? I can. So my name is Valerie. I am a paralegal um, in the Phoenix, Arizona area. I work for a law firm that practices in both estate planning and immigration, and I work on the immigration side of our, our practice. Can you explain the difference between a paralegal and an attorney? What, what are the differences in your guys' roles? So a paralegal assists the attorney. I do a lot of the client intake and the initial drafting of forms. I do legal research and present all of that to the attorney to look over, to review, and anything that leaves our firm leaves with his signature, even if I'm the one that drafted it. It goes through him. He makes all of the final legal calls, decisions, and um speaks with the clients more one-on-one about those decisions, but I'll do some of the background work as a paralegal. Tell us what led you to become a paralegal. What sparked your interest there? So I have a bachelor's degree in political science with a focus on global studies and transborder migration culture. And when I was attending school, I went to Arizona State. I wasn't sure what the next step would be after my bachelor's. I thought about law school and I ended up doing kind of a shadow at this law firm. I shadowed the immigration attorney for a day and wanted to know if immigration law would be something I would be interested in before I made the plunge to start studying for the LSATs and focusing on law school. Um, And a couple months later, they reached out to me because their immigration attorney or paralegal was leaving um, the firm to go work somewhere closer to her home. So I decided, you know what, before deciding again to do law school, because I graduated in December and taking the LSATs, it didn't line up very well. Um, I decided, you know what, I will work for the law firm, make sure I really like it, get some practice. And if I want to do law school after, I can study while I'm working and making more money than in my previous job. Um, And I'm still here three and a half years later. (laughs) I really appreciate that insight because I think that there's going to be a lot of listeners out there who hear this and who are probably in very similar situations. So it'll be nice to hear your experience through all of this. Okay, so can you share with us a little bit on the training or education that's required to even become a paralegal? Sure. So based on my experience and the other paralegals at our firm, um, it looks like there are a couple of different avenues that one can go through to become a paralegal. Um, So there is a paralegal certification program that you can go through. I think it's about two years, and that could either be done in person or online. And some firms prefer that depending on the practice area. You can also have a bachelor's degree in a related field. So mine would be political science with that focus on global studies. 
um, or if somebody had experience in criminal law uh, or like a criminology degree, that might be helpful for litigation. Um, so either way, it seems like having the certification is good for some practice areas or having a bachelor's degree is good for others. I would recommend for anybody interested in becoming a paralegal to look at what types of law they wanted to practice or work in and find employers and see what they are looking for in their job postings. Because some will say, if you have a bachelor's degree, we want you to have three years of experience working in this field. So knowing that before you go into four years of school and then needing three years of experience, that might be difficult to get. You could just go through the two years of training instead. Okay, perfect. Thank you for sharing that. What are the demographics of the the profession of being a paralegal? Do you find that it's more male or female dominated? Do you see a specific trend as far as ages go? Yeah, so in the areas that I've been in, so I've worked for the same firm in Utah and in Arizona, um, and it seems to be in those areas, it's far more female um, based. So there are far more women working as paralegals. I've known one or two male paralegals. And it seems to be, I would say probably 20 to 50 year old women doing that job. Um, so it could be someone who is wanting to work as a mother and it's it's a pretty good job for balancing family life. And they can find that they work a couple of days a week as a paralegal or it could be somebody starting out, not sure what their next step is, but wanting to get some good experience in the field. What range of salary can someone typically expect to make in this field? Obviously, this widely depends on, I'm sure, kind of what area you're in um, geographically and, you know, what the focus is. So yeah, can you touch on that? Yeah, so it seems to be depending on what sort of certification you have and the specific practice area, there also seems to be some difference, but it looks to be starting intro about the $40,000 range. And that's in that Phoenix, Arizona area that I've seen. Um, Utah seems to start their paralegals at about 32,000. So there's, there's a big difference, but I also understand the minimum wage in Utah is lower than here in Arizona. But at the upper range, depending on the practice area, I see anywhere from about sixty dollars to $75,000 a year. Do you find ever in this profession, do you think it's possible for one to work as a paralegal and support a family completely on that salary alone? Is that possible? I think in some cases it's possible. Um, again, depending on where you live. As far as my, if I were to be supporting my family on my own, it's something that would be doable, but we'd have to live a different life than, than we do right now being a dual income household. But I think depending on the years of experience somebody has, and if they're able to work with a good law firm that values them and they know their value, that's something that they could continue to work in and support a family solo. Can you talk a little bit about benefits? Do you have access to health and life insurance? Do you get paid time off? How does all that factor in? Sure. So um, at my firm, I work for a very small law firm. 
Um, so I do have some benefits. I don't have health benefits or life insurance, but I do have retirement benefits. I get paid time off. And I, because we are such a small law firm, they're very flexible with me. So if I need to leave early to go pick up my son, I can do that. I've looked at other firms and what they offer. And it seems like the larger firms, or if you're a paralegal for the state or a city, they tend to have a more robust benefits package. So health insurance, life insurance, disability, paid time off holidays and, and all of that. Yeah, let's jump into hours since you um, kind of brought that up. What are your typical work hours? Um, and do you feel that this job allows for a proper work-life balance, especially for a single parent? So I now, there was a period of time where I lived in Utah and became an independent contractor for the firm um, while I was living out of state. And my hours then, I got to set. I tried to work general business hours so that I could call, email, and communicate with our clients. So I tried to keep that between 8 and 5 p.m., 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. with about an hour lunch break in the middle. Um, and I do find that many positions will allow a paralegal to work part-time. So three days a week if they need to, or four days a week, and you can kind of stretch those hours. So if you wanted to work for tens, that's an option. Um, or, you know, the standard five days a week, eight hours a day. So that is something that is nice about this job and this position. Work-life balance for me has been excellent. Um, being able to kind of have a predictable schedule and know that my office opens at eight, my office closes at five. And that if I, for some reason, needed to move appointments and leave a bit earlier, come in a bit late, that's something I can do. Whereas other positions that seem to have a more rigid schedule would not allow a single parent or any parent to do that. How is your progress measured? Who manages you? And do you feel like there are ways to work up and be promoted in this position? So I am one of two paralegals at the firm, and we also have two attorneys. I work closely with one of the attorneys who practices in immigration, and nearly all of my progress is measured by him. It's a father-son law firm, and um, both of the attorneys do take a role in managing raises, time off, and everything like that, but I work much more closely with one person. Um, as far as promotions go, in some law firms, I know that there's kind of a hierarchy or there's a managing paralegal and sub-paralegals or assistants. I don't have that at this small of a firm, but a much larger firm, there would be the opportunity to work up to maybe have more of a supervisory role than a small firm. Otherwise, once you're in that supervisory position, I think the next step would be an attorney. So there's not much more development that you can have without attending more school. Walk me through an average day at your job. Tell us the tasks that you're doing all day. So as an immigration paralegal, normally when I get into the office, the first thing I will do is look through my emails, see, because as an immigration paralegal, people are sending emails all times of day because 8 p.m. for me might be 8 a.m. for them. 
And so I, I will go through those emails. I have a list of all of my current cases that I'm working on. And I'll make myself a little to-do list, something to focus on each day. And then from there, I will go through kind of case by case and see what I hope to finish by the end of the day. Sometimes it's a petition, sometimes it's a letter, sometimes it's following up with clients to make sure they send us what we need to be able to finish their case. So I would say about 50% of my day is drafting documents, legal research, writing letters, and then the other 50% is follow-up, making calls to clients, talking with them over email, and then just kind of general work of scanning in documents that come in, preparing petition packages, so printing them, binding them, and then sending those out in the mail. And so how much of your day do you feel like, I mean, maybe percentage-wise, is collaborating and communicating with other people, whether that be through the phone or in person? I would say probably about 50% of my day. So whether it's with office staff and making sure that the legal assistants here and I are on the same page of what needs to, to be finished, or it's me and the attorney talking, or it's me reaching out to, to clients and making sure that I have what I need from them, that they have the information they need from us, and that we're all kind of communicating on the same page and that we're all aware of, of what's going on. What is the best day that you've had at work or what's a positive memory that stands out that just kind of showed you that you were in the right field? I um, have had a few of these days where we get an approval. We have worked really hard. We've sent everything we can to the government. We make a case for a family and then that approval comes in that they get to have their green card or their citizenship and that they get to stay in the United States. So that is, I think, the biggest positive is just being able to know that I played some small part in making sure that everything went smoothly or not smoothly, but it all went together to help them achieve that goal or that dream of theirs. We get to see one-on-one -on -one and deliver that good news to our clients, whereas some fields don't have that, that closure. They don't get to see the final steps of the case, but we do here. And then what about a bad day or what are challenges that you frequently face? And then if you can also touch on, you know, are there issues or trends in this field that people should be aware of? Sure. Um, I would say one of the biggest challenges is the, it, it's a positive and a negative. So one, you need to have extreme attention to detail. And I have had a few times where I have missed something and it didn't make it through the review process. And we sent out something with an incorrect date or a typo of some sort, and it delays the case for a client. So we have to go to the client and say, oh, I'm so sorry, we have to refile because the government, as far as immigration is concerned, is not very forgiving. Um, there are very clear laws and rules set. And if you make any mistake, even if it is just a typo, a mistake, you have to start over. And so it's difficult to not take that personally and not feel like a failure in that you're doing a disservice to the clients or the public by working in that field. Um, and so just kind of managing your own expectations and your own feelings of, am I 
good enough to keep doing this after those sorts of mistakes or challenges come in. Yeah, that would be hard. That kind of leads me to another question. Do you feel like that there's certain personality traits or characteristics or strengths that, or maybe even weaknesses, that someone could recognize within themselves that would make you say, hey, you would make a great paralegal or you should probably work on this before (laughs) deciding to become Uh, a paralegal. Yeah. So one thing I didn't realize when I started is how adverse I was to criticism or being critiqued. And so that is something I have had to work on personally is if the attorney says, hey, this, this isn't as good as it needs to be to get sent out, that it's not on me personally, it's, it's what needs to be done to make sure that their case has the best chance of approval. So I think somebody who might not be as confident in their own abilities or take things a bit more personally might have a bit of a harder time. And that's just being human. Um, but kind of having a thicker skin and realizing we're all working together on the same thing. It's not personal. It's just what needs to be done to to go out. And then somebody who has a strong attention to detail, they have, they notice the little things. They realize when a word is misspelled or a number is typed out wrong. Um, that is super helpful just anywhere along the process. We can all type in a wrong number, a wrong date. And so somebody who notices those things would do very well in this job. What other related fields should someone look into if this career kind of sparks an interest in them? So there are positions with the United States in their USCIS offices where you can work kind of on the other side of the process. So not where you are helping apply on behalf of an immigrant, but where you are reviewing the applications, making sure everything is in order to approve some sort of immigrant benefit, or if something needs to be corrected, you can send out those notices. And I think we need more good people in those jobs. I think sometimes those careers you can easily get burnt out in. So I think that's an impact. But just as we've seen changes with USCIS um, and hopefully more positive changes, always we always want to, to progress. I think if you're wanting to not work for a private law firm, but you're still wanting to work in immigration, that may be a good place for someone to look. Thank you. I, I wouldn't have even thought of that. <laughs> What's your end goal in this career path? Where do you hope to be by the end of your career? I have started looking into maybe opening up a nonprofit of sorts um, to be able to help people study for their naturalization exams. So one of the final steps of the immigration process is applying for citizenship or the naturalization process. And a part of that process is passing the civics exam. So answering a certain number of questions about the US government history, and just um, kind of life here in the United States. And then you are also required if you're within a certain age and you've been in the United States for a certain period of time to pass a written and spoken English exam. So I would hope to be able to help prepare people for that, make sure they're comfortable and confident 
before they go into that test to to ensure that that final step just goes smoothly for them. What advice do you have and specifically for women or for anyone who maybe is wanting to enter this career field? My advice would be to first maybe decide what types of law that you are interested in and reach out to people in those fields because there are a lot of areas of law that you can can work in. Um, Specifically for immigration, there are even multiple types of firms. I work for a firm that does affirmative petitions. So we help clients apply for immigration benefits, for green cards, work authorization, and citizenship. Um, We don't do any removal or deportation proceedings. So there are some firms that only do removal and deportation and help work with um, the courts to ensure that somebody is able to stay in the United States or make their departure as smooth as possible and and make sure that their family gets to stay. Um, So there are even two different sides of, of immigration law. Additionally, I would just go into any sort of meeting or job interview, knowing what your worth is, what you can bring to the table, and what you might want to expect for a salary just going into it. Because there is, in some cases, a quite a big range of salaries that one could be paid. So just know that going in. And if you work for a small firm, you might want to request a higher salary if benefits aren't offered to you. So you can help um, sort of make up that difference. A big thank you to Valerie for donating her time to the show. If you're enjoying Employed, I would really appreciate it if you hit follow or subscribe on your podcast app or left a comment or shared the podcast on social media. This helps me to get the word out and helps me to continue producing content. Thanks for listening.